How are you doing today, Woodlands Church? Feeling good? Good. I know God has a word for you today through his word, but have you noticed the title of the message today? It's Stop Doing Things Right. Now, that may sound a little strange because all of our lives we've been told that we're supposed to do things right, but our obsession with Doing things right is one of the greatest barriers that blocks the pathway to fulfillment and purpose in our lives. We're in this series we're calling Simplify and Soar. And we said last week, to go to the next level, we've got to declutter our lives. But most of us are trying to reach our goal, sort of like a mountain climber, who's walking up a really steep and rocky mountain trail but he's carrying way too much gear. And so he's weighed down by all this unnecessary gear and he doesn't have any room for the important things that he needs to take him to the top of the mountain. And we said the real secret is you've gotta let go of everything that you don't need so you can hold on to the only things that you do need to make it to the top. But I have to say that today, we're going to get at something deeper and much more dangerous. And that is when you're climbing the mountain with just the right gear to make it to the top, but you're climbing the wrong mountain. You're doing things right, but you're not doing the right things. You have all the right gear, everything you need, to make it to the top of the mountain, you get to the top of the mountain and find out it's only emptiness and frustration and disillusionment. And so the secret is I've got to stop doing things right and do the right things. And what we're really talking about is the difference between efficiency and effectiveness. You can be really efficient and not effective and productive in your life. What I mean is you can be really efficient rearranging the deck chairs just perfectly on the Titanic and not even be concerned that your ship is going under. It's so important to see that, and if you're a manager, you really need to see this, that you can be really efficient and not effective whatsoever. If your husband or a wife or a parent or a friend, you really need to see this. I have a friend who told me that over the holidays, his parents from out of town came in to visit their family. The problem was the first three or four days that they were in town visiting, they spent almost every hour at the mall because they were trying so hard to pick out the perfect present for all the grandkids. And so they were fighting all the mall traffic and the busyness and the craziness because they were really trying to do things right, just perfect to get the perfect present for all the grandkids when all the grandkids wanted was to be with them. And they weren't looking for the presents they could buy. They just wanted their presents in their lives. They were doing things right, but they weren't doing the right thing connecting to the family. And it's just so easy to do things right without doing the right thing. We get so off track, so I want us to look at a guy in the New Testament who was one of the greatest leaders of all time. In fact, he wrote much of the New Testament. But he needed a wake-up call because he was an expert at doing things right, but he was doing all the wrong things. 
He was an expert at doing things just right, but he was climbing the wrong mountain the whole time. His name was Saul. And he was leading the pack when it came to climbing the mountain. I mean, he was way ahead of everyone else. He was one of those guys that followed all the rules and did everything right, almost perfectly. And Saul was following his religion to a T. He was following all the rules and the regulations. And whenever he saw someone that wasn't following all the rules and doing everything just right, and as someone who wasn't climbing up the mountain that they should be climbing up, then he was always out to get them. He was always ready to point it out. And there was this new group of people that they called the way. They were the early Christians because they followed the one who said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And so all the enemies of Christ and the early Christ followers called them the way. I mean, there's a cult called the way. I mean, these guys, they're going a different way. They're not climbing the mountain that they need to be climbing, this mountain of religion, of rules, rituals, and regulations. And, and Saul saw that they weren't even on the mountain. And they were at the foot of the cross. And so he began to persecute them, and he led the persecution against the Christians there in Jerusalem. And then he was so zealous to make sure every, everyone was doing the right things and climbing the mountain that he was climbing, that he even went to Syria. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest people of the way that were there and bring them back to Jerusalem until God stopped him in his tracks and gave him that wake-up call so that he stopped doing things right and he started doing the right things. I want us to open our Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Would you... Open your Bibles there, and if you don't have your Bible, then just look you know, at the screens and, or look at your verses, notes that are in your program, but would you stand in honor of God's Word, Woodlands Church, and I want to welcome all you guys worshiping at our satellite campuses and everyone worshiping through our broadcast or online ministry, wherever you are, from the Woodlands to the world. We're one family built on the Word of God. This is a long passage, but what an interesting story, this miracle that happened to Saul. Follow along with me. All this time, Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples, out for the kill. He went to the chief priest and got arrest warrants to take to the meeting places in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. He set off, and when he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? He said, who are you, master? I am Jesus, the one you're hunting down. I want you to get up and enter the city. In the city, you'll be told what to do next. His companions stood there dumbstruck. They could hear the sound but couldn't see anyone. While Saul, picking himself up off the ground, found himself stone blind. They had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. He continued blind for three days. He ate nothing, drank nothing. There was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, master, he answered. Get up and go over to the straight avenue. Ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's there praying. He has just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so he could see again. Ananias protested. 
Master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem, and now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priest that give him license to do the same thing to us. But the master said, don't argue, go. I have picked him as my personal representative to the Gentiles and kings and Jews, and now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with this job. So Ananias went and found the house, placed his hands on blind Saul, and said, Brother Saul, the master sent me the same Jesus you saw on your way here. He sent me so you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got to his feet, was baptized, and sat down with them to a hearty meal. Saul spent a few days getting acquainted with the Damascus disciples. Dear God, I thank you that you love us so much that you want to open our eyes to really see, especially, Lord, when we're climbing the wrong mountain and we're being successful at it. Because, Lord, the worst thing that can happen is that we, we succeed at climbing the wrong mountain only to find emptiness. So I pray today, Lord, that everyone within the sound of my voice would just have an eye-opening experience in the next few moments that our spiritual eyes would be open to really see where we're at and to see a true perspective so that we can stop doing things right and start doing the right things that make all the difference. And Lord, I know that you wanna work miracles today, but it really starts with seeing. Seeing where we're at and seeing where you can take us. And I pray that you would do that in such a powerful way for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. When Jesus stopped Saul on the road to Damascus with a, a burst of flashing light, Saul was physically blinded, but the reality was he had been spiritually blind his whole life. He was blinded to the fact that he was trying to climb up the wrong mountain, that he was doing things right, but he wasn't doing the right things. I want you to underline the phrase, scales fell from Saul's eyes. Physically, the blinders came off, and he could see again. But the greatest miracle of all was spiritually. Those spiritual blinders fell off so he could really see for the first time in his life what life was really all about. Because he sincerely was doing things right. He thought he was climbing the right mountain, but he saw for the first time he had been blinded spiritually all his life. And that was his salvation moment. For you see, he had been climbing up the mountain of religion, and he was doing better than everyone else, and he looked around, got pretty proud because he was ahead of everyone else following the rules, rituals, and regulations, and he, he was doing all these good things, and he was so sincere. He was keeping other people from doing the things that they weren't supposed to do in his eyes, and he was climbing the mountain of religion. And for the first time in his life, he saw that it was fruitless, that he could never make it the perfect holy God. And that's why God came down from that mountain of religion and left his home in heaven, became one of us down at a cross so that all we have to do now is go to the foot of the cross and receive his free gift of salvation. And he takes us to the top of the mountain with his grace and his power. And so for the first time in his life, Saul's eyes were opened and nothing was ever the same again. He never saw anything the same again. He saw reality 
and he started climbing the right mountain in God's power. You know, that's what salvation is, is when you get your eyes open spiritually for the first time because until you receive Christ into your life, I mean, really, you're spiritually blind. You can't see and you make all kinds of bad decisions and, and you go down a lot of wrong paths and you don't really see clearly. In fact, you can't see at all, but once you come to Christ, he opens your spiritual eyes and you start seeing everything in a different way. But I have to say, for those of you who are Christ followers, it's just so easy for our vision to get clouded, our values get clouded, our schedules get overcrowded, and we so easily start doing things right instead of the right things. We so easily move back onto a mountain that's not the mountain God has for us. We start going down the wrong path in decisions, and we stop seeing things clearly. Our, our vision gets clouded. Everything starts to get a little blurry. And so my prayer for all of us today, everyone within the sound of my voice, is that God would open our spiritual eyes so we could have 2020 spiritual vision to really see. I mean, to really see where we're at and the mountain that we should be climbing. I believe with all my heart, God is gonna open eyes. God is gonna clear up vision because you don't know you have bad vision until you put some glasses on or contacts on for the first time. You just thought all trees looked a little blurry until you see the definition in the leaves once you get your vision corrected. And so you don't even know that your vision is getting clouded until God gives you a little wake-up call and that's my prayer today for all of us, that God will open our eyes. Because we need to see first that we get blinded by comparing ourselves to others. We get blinded by comparing ourselves to those around us. After his conversion, Saul wrote much of the New Testament, and he wrote the book of Philippians, and he was talking to Christ followers. He said, don't compare yourselves to others. And don't measure yourself everyone else because that's what I used to do. And if anyone had a right to compare themselves and try to feel good about themselves, it was me because I was at the top of my class. I, mean, I was ahead of everyone else. And he goes on to say in chapter three, verse six, and sincere, yes, so much so that I greatly persecuted the church and I tried to obey every Jewish rule and regulation right down to the very last point. But all these things that I once thought very worthwhile, now I've thrown them all away so I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone. He said, I was blinded by comparing myself to everyone else, and it kept me from the only thing that really mattered, a relationship with Christ. Doing, doing things right kept me from doing the one right thing that made all the difference. And he said, it all came from comparing myself and feeling good that I'm ahead of everyone else, but not even realizing I could never measure up to perfect holy God so much so that I was totally on the wrong mountain, so much so that I was persecuting the very people who were going up the right mountain. He said everything was just backwards. Everything, I was just blinded by comparing. And whenever you compare yourself to others, it's destructive because when you compare yourself to everyone else, either you get proud because you're ahead of a lot of people and you think I'm doing pretty good and you can be on the totally wrong mountain trail, comparing yourself, feeling like you're doing a really good job and you get proud, or you look at everyone else and they're doing better than you get really depressed and wonder what's wrong with you. Either way, you're dead in the water. And that's why later, 
Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, he goes on to say in that passage, it is unwise. It's not wise to compare yourself to others. My wife, Chris, always tells women to be careful of what she calls the Pinterest perspective. Because when you get a Pinterest perspective, you get a really blurry vision for the path that you should be on. We look at Pinterest and we think, that's what life is supposed to be. We look at a perfect picture on Pinterest from someone else's life or a perfect picture on social media, and we think, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Why aren't I doing that? Why don't I do things perfect like that? And we try to imitate it. We compare ourselves, and then we try to copy, and it causes a lot of frustration. Have you ever seen on the internet these Pinterest fails? They're pretty awesome. They'll make you feel really good. You know where it shows something on Pinterest that looks perfect, then someone else tries it. Does it turn out that way? Uh, just take a look at this one. This is a crayon art. There's a picture on Pinterest, and it's really cool. You know, that could be in a modern art museum. I think that's really neat, but then someone saw this perfect picture on Pinterest and said, that looks pretty easy. I'll try that, and they did it, and it turned out like this. <laughs> you know, I mean, I like that because you can see some deep hurt and anguish in that art coming out. That just grabs me. Here's, here's another one. There's a lot of food on Pinterest, you know, perfect food, you know, that almost looks fake. And here's one of some chocolate-covered strawberries. You know, you have the white chocolate, and then you have the, the milk chocolate. And someone said, that looks easy enough, you know, just chocolate-covered strawberries. So they tried it, and look what they got. Chocolate blobs. <laughs> looks like a, a terrible uh, skin disease or something. I don't know what that is, but it's, it's bad, you know. Probably tastes the same. I love those Pinterest fails because that's what happens in our lives when we try to compare ourselves. We look at Pinterest or a picture of someone's perfect life on social media, and we don't realize that that's just such a tiny little snapshot of their life that they want you to see. It's not real. I mean, you look at a perfect cake on Pinterest, but what you don't see, you see the perfect cake, but you don't see how they yelled at their kids and were all stressed out trying to make the perfect cake to show everyone how they make perfect cakes. I mean, you don't see that. You see a perfect table setting. It's just a tiny little snapshot of their life because what you don't see is all the hurt and the disconnection and the dysfunction in their family. It's going on 95% of the time. We get blinded by comparing ourselves to others. Now get rid of the Pinterest perspective. Stop comparing yourself to everyone else. And then we get blinded by our culture. In Deuteronomy 12:8, Moses said, you shall not do at all what we're doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. You see, the culture back in that day in the Old Testament was everyone just did what was right in their own eyes and it was destructive to the culture. Yeah, instead of finding out from God what the right things are, they just did what they felt like was right. And that's our culture today, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. And it's just so easy. Even if you realize it, even if you're following Christ rather than culture, it's so easy to let that culture start blurring your vision and you don't even know it. You don't even know that your vision is getting worse until God gives you a wake-up call. How do you know if the culture is clouding your values? One way is this. 
Ask yourself, what are you apologizing for? It's a very interesting question. What are you apologizing for? For example, when you go over to someone's house who has preschoolers, the first thing that will happen when you walk into their house is they'll apologize and say, I'm so sorry the house is a mess, you know, and there's toys around and, you know, I just didn't have a chance to pick up. I'm so sorry. And why are you apologizing for that? It's like you're apologizing because you've been connecting with your kids or playing with your kids and they're playing with toys and the house isn't perfectly picked up because you're connecting with them and you're building children. Why are you apologizing for that? Probably parents of preschoolers, when you walk into their house, probably, and the house is perfect and everything is in its place and everything is just perfect and spotless and there's no dust anywhere and they've got, you know, like four preschoolers, then they're the ones that probably should say, I am so sorry that my house is perfect and spotless because I, I locked my kids in the closet for five hours and I need to call the police on myself. I mean, it is terrible, but the house is perfect. Uh, we apologize for the wrong things. You know, we, we apologize for the wrong things and we don't apologize for the right things. We don't say, I'm so sorry that I've been in front of a screen for all these hours and I haven't taken the time to sit down with you face to face. We apologize for the wrong thing. When you start apologizing for the wrong things, it just means that your vision is starting to get blurry and you don't know it. And some of you are having a wake-up call right now. It's a wake-up call. You're realizing the culture and comparisons have started to blind you to the right path. And so the culture and comparison really is all about pride. We get blinded by our pride because oh, we want people to see that little perfect part of our life, that little 1% that looks perfect. We want people to see that and and it makes us compare ourselves and we get proud. We get blinded by our pride. And that's what happened to Saul. He was blinded by his pride and it kept him from going up the right mountain. And so how do we do the right things? How do we stop doing things right and do the right things? The big question is what are the right things? And the only way you know what the right things are is to see clearly, to have that wake up call where, where God opens up your spiritual eyes to see things really clearly and you see you're going up the wrong mountain and you make those adjustments or you're going down the wrong path and you step onto the right path. And so how do you see clearly? Well, let's look at what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. The first thing that has to happen is I have to fall on my knees so my eyes will be opened. Fall on your knees and your eyes will be opened. In Acts 9, 4, it says, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Underline that phrase, he fell to the ground. Sometimes you have to fall on your face in order to have your eyes opened. Sometimes you have to fall on your face so you can look up to God. Sometimes it's just God's mercy that he allows us to fail because the worst thing that could ever happen to you is for you to succeed in going up the wrong mountain. For you to do things right and everything's fallen in place and everything that you do is successful but you're climbing the wrong mountain, that's a terrible thing to happen to anyone, is to succeed in climbing the wrong mountain. So you get to the top and you find only emptiness. And to make a mountain of money but lose your marriage, to make it to the top of the mountain of success but lose your integrity 
to make it to the top of the mountain, but there's no one there to celebrate with you. I mean, what could be worse than being successful going up the wrong mountain? Sometimes it's God's mercy that we fail and we fall because God loves us so much. He doesn't want us to experience that pain of making it to the top of the wrong mountain. That's the worst kind of pain there is when you realize it when it's too late. And so he'll allow us to fail and, and to take a fall that will knock us to our knees and knock the pride out of us because you can't be full of Christ when you're full of pride. I can't be full of God when I'm full of myself. And so he knocked Saul to his knees so that his eyes could be opened for the first time. In Acts 9, 5, Saul then asked, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he said. What a telling question. Who are you? Saul knew a lot about God. In fact, he knew more about God than just about anyone else on the planet at that time. He had gone to all the, the greatest schools of the day. He, he knew all the religious law of the day. He knew more about God than just about anybody else, but he didn't know God personally. You know a whole lot about God, but not know God. He had never experienced Jesus until this day. He knew a lot about God, but he'd never experienced God until he experienced Jesus and his eyes were open and everything changed. He had been sharing with others about God and telling others what God wanted them to do, but he'd never experienced God. He'd been sharing his dead religion, and all religion is just death, rather than sharing the relationship that he had with God because he didn't have a relationship with God. He was sharing, but he'd never experienced, and that's our culture to a T. We're always sharing, we're always posting, we're always pressing sin, but we skip the experience, and we don't really experience anything. I came across this picture that really sums up our culture. Just take a look. It's all these people at this great experience. I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I have no idea, but, they, but they've all got their cell phones out, and they're not experiencing it. They're just videoing it so that they can share this experience with their friends. They're sharing the experience that they didn't really experience, except for, look, that one elderly woman is experiencing the event. Do you see her? I know some of you are going, well, she just doesn't know how to work technology. And I'm sure that's probably right, but I love the picture. The illustration still works. It's so true, though, we're always posting or pressing send, and we're always sharing an experience that we didn't have. We're more concerned about sharing it than experiencing it, and you can't share what you haven't experienced, or it leads to death. It's time that we stop sharing and just start experiencing first, and then we'll share from our hearts what we've really experienced, and it's life-changing. In Acts 9.8, it says, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. When Saul was knocked to his knees, he was physically blinded, but his spiritual eyes were open for the first time. And maybe you just experienced a, a huge failure in your life. You were climbing the mountain, everything was going great, and then you've just been buried underneath an avalanche of failure and pain. Could it be God's loving mercy that he loves you so much that he didn't let you succeed? at making it to the top of the wrong mountain. It's God's wake-up call. You were knocked to your knees, but maybe now your eyes will be open for the first time. 
so that you can go up the mountain that he's chosen for you with his power and find true fulfillment. Could it be God's mercy? Could it be God's love? He loves you so much he allowed failure in your life. That's what happened with Saul. He was knocked to his knees in humility so that his eyes were opened. And in verse nine, it says, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Can you imagine this guy that had led everyone was now being led by the hand. He couldn't see his next step. He was totally dependent upon God and others. And for the first time in his life, his eyes were open to the fact that he was dependent upon God and others. You see, we're always totally dependent upon God. It's just when we're successful and everything's going great that we don't realize how dependent we are on God. It's when problems and pain come into our lives that knocks us to our knees and we go, God, I need you desperately. But really, we needed God all the time because he's the one that without him, we couldn't take another breath. He gives us our next breath. He gives us our next heartbeat. We need God every moment of every day. We just don't realize it sometimes when we're climbing the mountain and being successful, it's when we fall on our face that we understand that we need God and we need him all the time. So do you realize how dependent you are upon God? Some of you say, well, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. No. God gives us the ability to work. God gives us the ability to earn. God gives us our health and God can take away our next breath. We're totally dependent upon God. And when you realize that, it sets you free to trust him and to feel his power and strength. And he sets you free on the right path. And that's what happened to Saul. For three days, he was blind so that he could really see. I mean, he was like, hey, something has gone on in my life. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I'm not gonna eat. He fasted for three days. I said, man, I gotta figure out the right mountains. I I gotta know what's happening here. And I would say and challenge you, would you, for three days next week, go blind? Would you go blind to social media? Maybe take a Facebook fast? Maybe it's get off Instagram for three days. Maybe it's not watch television for three days. Maybe it's not just text for three days. You pick it, okay? But would you choose maybe just a a total technology fast for three days? I know you have to, for work, do some things, but for three days, some of you are are breaking out into a cold sweat right now. You're going, what? This message was really good up until that point, and you stopped preaching, and now you've gone to messing my life up. So, and some of you going, yeah, 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 I I could do that. I mean, yeah, yeah, I won't get on this or get on that, and you're thinking about something you never get on anyway. And some of you guys are thinking, yeah, I'll watch television. Uh, you know, I mean, and you're thinking about what ball games are on this week. I don't know. There's no ball games on during the week. So that works out really good. Some of you are going, is the, what's the Bachelor on now? Wait a minute. No, I could do it after. Some of you, I mean, here's the thing. Some of you are going, yeah, I could do it. And you, and you already picked one. It, that's the one you're not supposed to do. It's the one you thought, well, I'm not going to do that one, but I'll do something else. I'm not going to do that one is the one you're supposed to do. Okay. The one you're addicted to is the one you're supposed to do for three days so that you can be blinded to it so you can really see God, to follow God. Then there's a second thing. Follow Jesus and the right path will find you. Fall on your knees and your eyes will be open, but follow Jesus and the right path will find you. I say this because the most asked question I get is, 
Carrie, how do I know God's will in this situation? How do I know what God's path is for me? How do I know what decision to make here? How do I know how to go down the right path between these paths that I'm faced with? Which path should I go down? What's the right path? You don't need to know the right path. You just need to know the right person to follow. You follow Jesus one step at a time, and the right path will find you. You don't have to go looking for the right path. Just follow Jesus, and the right path will find you. Because when you're following the right person, he'll take you on the right path. Some of us are more concerned about who's following us than who we're following. Some of us are more concerned about what path we're on rather than who we're following. Just follow Jesus. The right path will hit you head on. Just follow Jesus and obey him one step at a time. That's why we're doing our God First devotionals every morning in January on the website, on Facebook, on social media, on every platform, we have a God First devotional where you spend 10 minutes with God before you go off into your day. It's a promise and a prayer and a devotional. So you put God first. It's so important just to take a step of following Jesus. You just follow Jesus and the path will hit you. You can't miss it. You can't make a wrong turn. In Acts 9, 6, Jesus said, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. So now Saul, who's always had all these followers, is now following Jesus' instructions. For the first time in his life, he's following. In Acts 9, 10, it says, there was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, master, he answered. Underline that word, yes. Before Jesus told him what to do, Ananias said, yes, yes, yes. No wonder Jesus chose Ananias for this task because he said yes, even before Jesus told him what to do. And a lot of times we'll say, God, show me your will for my life so I can decide whether I want to do it or not. We don't really say that to God because, you know, we don't want God to know that, but we think it, and of course God knows it. And so we said, God, if you'll just show me what to do in this decision, and then I'll kind of think about it and see if it's really a good thing, you're telling me. And God says, no, I'm not going to tell you anything until you say yes. And we say, yes, I'll follow you, Jesus. Then he tells us what to do, what the next step is. We just got to keep following him one step at a time. Follow Jesus one step at a time. The right path finds you. But then after he said yes, in Acts 9, 13, he says this. Ananias protested, Master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priest that give him license to do the same thing to us. It's like, Jesus, you're giving me my death sentence. Don't you know who this guy is? <clears throat> Saul of Tarsus. His reputation precedes him. He's out to kill Christians. And so he, he just shares his feelings with Jesus. And whenever Christ asks you to do something, he doesn't mind that you share your heart with him. It's like, God, I don't, I don't really want to do that. I don't understand that. And, but then there has to come a point where God says, yeah, but you've already said yes. Remember? That's why I told you. And so take that step of faith. You can say yes to God and then never take a step of faith, and that's a huge no in God's face. But when you take a step of faith, that's a huge Yes. And God will open the door. You follow Jesus one step at a time, and God opens the door, and the path hits you. And that's what happened here, because in verse 15, it says, but the master said, don't argue, go. I have picked him as my personal representative to Gentiles and kings and Jews. 
It's not your job to argue. It's your job to trust and obey and take a step of faith. Jesus said, follow me and the right path will find you. It's not the path you're following. It's the person you're following. And Ananias trusted Jesus, even though he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know what the results were going to be. He said, okay, you told me to do it. I'm going to obey, even when I don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense, because I know you know what's best for me, and I trust you. you got to trust the person you're following. That's what it's all about. Follow Jesus, and you'll also find the right people. This is crucial. It's called fellowship. Fellowship is connecting with others on the deepest level. And that's the third thing. Fellowship brings everything into focus. In verse 17, it says, so Ananias went and found the house, placed his hands on blind Saul and said, brother Saul, now that's a speaking in faith, brother Saul, you know, you're not gonna kill me, brother. You're my brother now. The master sent me the same Jesus you saw on your way here. He sent me so you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that interesting? I mean, God could have just instantly blinded Saul, as he did, and then instantly helped him see physically again. But he sent another Christ follower to the house. He used Ananias. Why did he do that? I don't know why God uses people, but he always does. God always uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things so that he gets the credit. God always uses people. God's greatest miracles are always done through people. Isn't that amazing? That's because God wants us to experience his power and God wants, God is a connector and he wants to celebrate with us. And so that's why he didn't just snap his fingers and go boom, this happens, boom, this happens. But he uses people as his vessels to bring miracles. And so Ananias came over, laid his hands on him. And I just want you to know when you're going down the right path, you will run into the right people. That's really important. How do you know if you're going down the right path? You run into the right people. God brings you the right people at just the right time. God always does that. You go down the right path and God wants to connect you. He's a connecting God and he knows that we need connections and community. And so if you're not a member of any church family and God has led you here, God wants you to join Woodland Church and connect to Woodland Church because this is where you're gonna find the right people for the things that you're gonna be going through, for the needs that you have. And this is where God's gonna use you to meet the needs of other people that he has here, that he's gonna use you in their life. And so there are a lot of great churches in this area, and if you haven't joined a church family, you need to pick one and join one as long as they preach God's word, it's true, and lift up Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what their worship style is or anything else, you, you just pick one and connect. But if God has led you here, if you've been going down the path and God has led you here, that means you need to join here and connect here because God has the people here that he's gonna use in your life. God plans it out so amazingly. He always brings the right people at the right time, but you have to connect. And so Ananias and Paul were connected and then Ananias connected Saul to the other believers in Damascus and he got connected into the family and that's so important. And if you haven't been connected to the family, this is your year. And, and two weeks from today, we have our membership class. And that's how you join. In your program, you'll see this little card. It says membership class. And you can sign up right now. There's over 300 already signed up for this class. I teach the class. It's from 1 to 3 on Sunday at all of our campuses right after the last service. 
And don't miss it. Just sign up. We feed you. We have childcare. There's no excuses this year. There's no excuse January to get connected. If you want God to work in your life, then you have to take a step of faith and connect with others. When he brings them into your path, then you gotta connect. Don't miss out on that connection or you'll miss out on miracles along the way. Get connected. I want you to look at the last verse. This is what it all leads to. In verse 18, no sooner were the words out of his mouth than something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. And he got to his feet and was baptized. As soon as Ananias touched him and said those words, the scales fell off, the blinders fell off, and he could see physically. But more importantly, the greater miracle was that he could see spiritually for the first time. He saw everything clearly. All of his blindness was gone and he could see clearly the right mountain to follow and the fulfillment that God would have for him. Wouldn't be an easy mountain to be difficulty and pain, but it would be so purposeful and so fulfilling. And God used him to write most of the New Testament. And so at the end of our service, in just a moment, our pastors and prayer teams are gonna be up here. And God uses people to bring miracles. And we're praying for miracles today. And if you have a prayer request, maybe it's just that your eyes are open clearly to see where Jesus is going so you can follow him in a decision you're about to make. Maybe you wanna pray for a loved one or relative or friend who's going down the wrong path for a miracle there. Maybe it's a miracle in a relationship. Maybe it's a miracle in your family. Maybe it's a miracle in your health. God wants to work miracles today. And we wanna put our hands on you and pray for you. And for some reason, God chooses to use people. People don't bring about the miracle, it's all from God, but God allows the miracle to flow through ordinary people in an extraordinary way. We'll be up here, and, and, and I just wanna say that I believe with all my heart, God has opened eyes today. Some of you are seeing things clearly for the first time, and you're gonna be able to look back on this date 20 years from now and say, that was the day that I saw everything clearly. That was the day that the scales fell from my eyes, the blinders came off, and I saw life clearly. And I've been walking on God's path, following Jesus ever since. I want us to bow together and close our eyes and pray for God to open our spiritual eyes. Dear God, we come before you today and we realize that we so quickly get off track we get blinded by our pride and we compare ourselves to others and we feel pressure to, to do certain things and to make things look a certain way in our lives and try to impress others. And then, Lord, we get blinded by our culture that just really starts squeezing us into a mold that you never meant for us and pushes us off your path. And instead of following priorities, we start following pressures and we go up the wrong mountain. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would just let the scales fall from all of our eyes, that we would see clearly, that, that we would see what mountain you've called us to go up, and we would make sure, Lord, that we humbly kneel to you and ask for your power and your strength to carry us up that mountain. And that, Lord, we just follow you one step at a time, one day at a time, instead of worry, worrying so much about finding the right decision or the right path, 
that we would just follow you, Jesus, and the right path will find us, that we wouldn't get so concerned about our destiny that we don't celebrate you in the journey and miss out on what life is all about. And Lord, I just pray for all those who've never received you into their life, that in this moment, Lord, you haven't sent a physical light to blind them physically like you did Saul that day on the road to Damascus, but there's been a light, an explosion of light in their heart and in their mind in this service over the last few moments where you've opened up their eyes and they see they're going up the wrong mountain. Lord, help them today to just stop trying to save themselves and just kneel at the foot of the cross and receive all of your forgiveness and all of your grace in all heaven for your glory and help them pray this prayer silently to you right now. Dear Jesus Christ, I give up. I've been going up the wrong mountain and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I kneel at the foot of the cross and realize I could never make it to the top of the mountain to gain your approval. So thank you for coming down from your mountain and becoming one of us and dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose again. I ask you to come into my life and change me from the inside out and help me follow you from now on. I've been going my own way, doing what I want and feel is best, what's right in my own eyes, but I wanna go your way, God, and follow you, Jesus, to your place of fulfillment and purpose. And I need you to take me to heaven one day because I can't get there on my own. I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness and salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life, and this is the day you can always remember that the scales fell off, that God opened your eyes, and now you're on a new path. I wanna, at this time, introduce our offering because we worship God through our singing. We worship God through our Bible teaching. We worship God through our giving. And so as you give, pray that God will just speak to your heart. And we also know that God promises he'll give back to us more than we could ever give. And so as you give, thank him and expect that and then pray God will multiply the gifts for his glory to be used in our over 100 ministries and missions to help hurting people. And as you give, there are a lot of ways to give, but make it consistent. Make sure you set up a disciplined way to give through PushPay, our PushPay app on your cell phone, through online giving. Uh, you can do recurring giving through uh, cash or check, but just make sure it's a spiritual discipline and a habit where you put God first in your finances, and you claim God's promises that he'll give back to you. As we start the new year, let's put God first in every area of our lives. Let's just follow Jesus down the road, and the right path will find us. Lord, bless our giving. We come to the altar today to present our lives to you, and we give because we love you, and we love what you're doing through our church. We pray that you'd multiply it and, and give back to us more so that we can give more for your glory. And Lord, I, I just pray you'd speak to hearts right now. I know that You've spoken to my heart so many times during the offering time. You, you've spoken to my heart clearly about decisions and the, the greatest decisions I've ever made. You've given me clarity in worship while I was in church. You've spoken to my heart, and I pray you do that now in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.